Hi, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. Up on our site, The Ringer has just published their first ever fantasy football rankings. Our NFL experts, Danny Kelly, Robert Mays, Danny Heifetz, and more, rank and analyze the top 150 players in 2019 with printable and mobile cheat sheets to take with you wherever you're drafting. To check out our rankings and for more preseason coverage, listen to the Fantasy Football Podcast or head over to theringer.com. Basketball is very good. Kevon Looney is a max player. The Lakers should hire Ernie Grunfeld. Kawhi should sign with the Warriors. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat. I guess that's a half-assed attempt at doing the thing we usually do. I am Justin Verrier. Joining me on the line for the first time, I believe, on the group chat podcast, Dan Devine. What's up, Dan? Not much. I'm very excited to be on the group chat. Yeah, I mean, I I think normally I'm on the outside of the chat and you guys are just talking shit about me. So it's nice to be sort of in the mix. (laughs) Well, as you'll soon learn, it's completely different than every other Ringer NBA show. We do things completely differently. (laughs) There aren't two or three guys just talking about basketball here. So you'll have to catch up. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, it'll be nice for me to be able to to, to find something new to do. Bobby Wagner is also here. Uh, He is sitting behind a blank wall. And I am just looking, just wanting to know whether or not he is reaching for his mic right now to contribute. Hello, Justin. Hi, Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, Bobby? Good to talk to you. So we came into today not knowing what we were going to talk about, but we managed to come up with some things that were basketball related uh, later in the show. We're going to talk about Team USA. Believe it or not, uh, they're in training camp right now in Las Vegas. They're going to be going through that process over the next couple of days, couple of weeks, in order to find out the team that's going to be competing in China for the 2019 FIBA World Cup. But first, Kevin Durant, back in our lives after uh, a brief stint kind of in the shadows after he made his decision to go to the Brooklyn Nets. He sat down with Yahoo Sports' Chris Haynes for his first interview, I believe since his ACL tear. Uh, said a few interesting things, but I'm not sure any of them rise to the level of significantly altering our perception of Durant, perhaps where, like, uh, how he ended up in Brooklyn. Uh, First off, we could probably start here, uh, which is how the article started as well. He does not blame the Warriors for his injury. Obviously, there was a lot of talk about whether or not the Warriors rushed him back. Uh, He came in that game five, clearly wasn't ready, didn't look right from the start, and ultimately ended up tearing his Achilles. Uh, His quote, hell no, they did not push him back into kind of competing there. Uh, Dan, any quick thoughts on, on that whole thing? Because I know that this was a big deal at one point, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, that's right. It feels like forever ago. I, I mean, it's it's a big deal insofar as there was so much focus on whether the Warriors kind of checked off every box and followed the best practices and did the did their, the best job that they could to protect the player um, rather than trying to get him back too early. So if Durant himself is publicly saying, I don't feel that they, uh, you know, that I, I was unduly pressured or that I was forced into it, um, then that's, I mean, that's a big deal and and theoretically should close the book on that. Like there were people wondering if there would be any sort of repercussions for the Warriors or their medical team or whatever after the way that things went in the in the finals. But that probably puts all that to bed. So, that, I mean, that's, that's a positive. Um, you know, you'd hate to see Kevin Durant f- coming out of it feeling like he was pushed into the most devastating injury a player can suffer just by a team that didn't have his best interests at heart. And it probably helps the Warriors. It certainly couldn't hurt the Warriors in terms of their public 
uh, perception and the way that they sort of operated throughout that process. So all everything about that situation sucked. But if the, if Kevin Durant is out there saying, no, 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 that's not what it was, you know, maybe it at least puts a cap on that. Yeah, his new thing that he kind of really leaned into over the past year is that he's just a hooper, just wants to hoop. I don't know if you've heard this before, Dan. He said it once or 30 <laughs> times. Uh, and that really seemed to be the theme of the interview as well, uh, because eventually they started to talk about uh, what led to him joining the Nets. And his main reason seemed to be basketball, which obviously, but also that's a little interesting considering uh, that's not the sort of thing you expect to hear from a guy who just left potentially the best roster in NBA history. Uh, his direct quote was, because I wanted to, Durant said, and uh, in response to Haynes' question about why he did join the Nets, uh, the basketball was appealing. Hmm. So he goes on to say that he <laughs> left Golden State because it was always going to be for the Nets. If he was going to leave Golden State, it was going to be for the Nets. Obviously, the Knicks were the team rumored to be uh, after Durant throughout the entire season, the one we expected probably to land him. Uh, they, this is Durant. They got the pieces in a creative front office. I just like what they were building. Dan, <laughs> any thoughts on that? Well, first, I mean, it's, it is maybe like the cherry on top of the Knicks off season to to hear Kevin Durant after the fact say it was never going to be the Knicks. It was always going to be the Nets. That's kind of like Mwah! chef's kiss for, for the <laughs> Knicks front office. Um, whether or not you totally believe that, that you know, that's up to you. Uh, it's certainly it's it, there. It costs Kevin Durant nothing to say that right now. Um, to me, it feels a little bit like at best a half answer, though. Like, yes, you can't dispute any any part of that as far as what why you would choose the Nets. They have the pieces as far as you know they they've been able to put together a competitive roster. Like all that was missing was the superstar talent last year, uh, and now you have that. Um, you know, but there are they build they hit on Karis LaVert, it looks like. They hit on Jared Allen. They, you know, find guys like Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris that other teams have uh, passed on before, and they kind of build a competitive roster that would, you know, it's a star can come into. The front office found ways, you know, like the the, the contract structuring with uh, Durant and Kyrie Irving to be able to carve out enough cap space to also bring in uh, DeAndre Jordan at a four-year, $40 million contract without having to sacrifice any any max money for KD and Kyrie. There's they, There was a lot of things that, that Sean Marks and that front office were able to do to put to get together the sort of circumstances or the structure for that a guy would be appealing to a guy like Durant. But if you're talking about teams that play attractive styles, like you just left the, the Warriors, like <laughs> what are we talking about? If you're talking about creative front offices, one of the other teams that was reportedly very much in the running for Kevin Durant or very interested in his services was the Clippers. And Kawhi Leonard even went out like saying, let's play, you know, let's team up, let's play together. And, you know, we've read nothing. We've heard nothing. But uh, Hosanna's sort of uh, sung and thrown at the Clippers front office and how creative and brilliant that brain trust is. So, like, it seems to me that there would be something else that would go into it. And it seems like it's being in New York. You know, there's all that all the discussion about 35 ventures and, the, you know, the, the boardroom and the business opportunities and yada, yada, yada that Kevin Durant sort of been interested in developing. So you get to go to New York. You don't have to go to the hellmouth maelstrom that is Madison Square Garden and with all the things that have gone wrong there over the last 20 years. So like the Nets, yes, it's about the structure they built. Yes, it's about the pieces they put together. But it seems like it's also about it's where I want to be and I get to do that without being with the organization that I don't want to be with. Like, And I don't see why there's any real downside to saying some of those things, maybe not all of those things in an interview, but um, it, yeah, it feels like Durant's giving sort of like half an answer without sort of giving you the whole picture. Yeah, I understand talking up the structure because clearly if there's a difference between the Knicks and the Nets, that's that's the big one, right? There's an infrastructure in place. Seems like there's a plan in place, believe it or not. That's something a team uh, would benefit from. 
But imagine that. <laughs> I also I'm I'm curious about bringing up those things in contrast specifically to Golden State because as we mentioned, not only were they successful, they really nailed the blueprint better than most teams ever. This is a team that wasn't if we're going to go fall on the whole uh uh, built not bought sort of uh, way of thinking. They clearly built this thing from the ground up. Obviously, drafting Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and getting some of these other pieces around them to in order to form this kind of colossal dynasty. I I guess I'm just curious about the basketball fit because that's also the logic that he used in order to rationalize going to Golden State and leaving Oklahoma City in the first place. And as I'm sitting here thinking. I, I don't even know really how you would describe the Nets basketball. Like there's a clear way that the Golden State Warriors play. The ball finds energy, the whole uh, Steve Kerr thinking, like sort of teachings about, uh, you know, everybody moving and yada, yada, yada. But as I think about the Nets, a lot of the descriptions I'll come up with were are things I would actually apply to the Warriors. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that the, I mean, you the, it's funny. There's a similarity to, I know Gons wrote about this during the playoffs, a similarity to like the Nets growth and the process era Sixers, where it's like, we're going to put a style in or a structure in place. And then hopefully we'll just get better players to plug into it. Like under Kenny Atkinson, if they haven't been a particularly fast paced team, but they've shot a bunch of threes as the three point rate has risen there. You know, the, the, the team has improved. Uh, they've run a ton of pick and roll. Obviously, D'Angelo Russell is a big part of that. Kyrie Irving, you'd expect is going to be a big part of that. Multiple ball handlers, spray, uh, space the floor, uh, pick and roll dive, big man with with Jared, uh, Jared Allen. There are similarities in, like structurally in terms of the way that they, you know, this, they, that there is a style in place. We're going to, you know, they, they were they have never been like a great defensive team in, in this sort of era, but they have a style offensively, at least that seems like the, that they want to be able to, 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 to get to. And Durant maybe looks at that and says, uh, you know, I fit into that as. Uh, like the the significant jump over Damari Carroll in that situation, right? <laughs> like, or not. you know, amount, well, I mean, yeah, arguably. Um, but you know, if if you say like this is the way the team looks, where you know X amount of passes per game and X amount of pick and rolls per game and X amount of three point shots per game, but then you plug in sort of higher value talent, then that's what the difference between a forty two and forty uh, record and like a 50, 50, pl- uh, 50 plus win team. And so maybe there maybe there is something to that. But again, I I, I tend to agree. Like I, it's. He was sort of searching, it, they said, when he went to Golden State, like the idea was that he was searching for some kind of, uh, you know, fulfillment of what he could be as a player. He consistently talks in interviews and, and he mentioned it again in the Chris Haynes piece about looking to perfect his craft. It's something that he and Kyrie have kind of been simpatico on this idea of that they are artists, they are craftsmen, they are trying to, you know, get to the fullest level of their skills and, you know, get sort of get every squeeze every bit of toothpaste out of that tube. And maybe the answer in Brooklyn is that you get to do that as like the unquestioned number one creator, but then you're also doing it alongside Kyrie. It, it's hard to sort of see the the clear through line for him, but uh, I think you're right. Stylistically, there might be some similarities to what you got in Golden State, but you get to do it uh, away from the shadow of the other sort of entrenched superstars that you've been alongside. And, you know, if you do it here, you're the guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess they'll run probably more pick and roll than, than he's used to in Golden State, though I, I doubt he would be involved in many of them. Uh, I guess he'll still have as many opportunities to isolate, even though Kyrie Irving's going to be there, which, again, same thing in Golden State, and even going back to Oklahoma City, it seemed like that's what he wanted to get away from, but then he kind of uh, found his way back to that, more of that in Golden State, and then perhaps maybe it just hits a different level in the Nets, and then there's all this whole factor of, you know, what he will be after this Achilles tear. He's expected to miss all of next season, and although he didn't confirm 
uh, to Chris Haynes that uh, it, it does seem like that's kind of what we're up against here. That Haynes basically reported that that's kind of uh, the thinking going forward here. Uh, but the Kyrie and KD relationship is an interesting one, uh, especially because he in the article he compares he and Kyrie to LeBron and Wade. Uh, and so this is KD talking here. I think the friendship part of the league has really grown, especially since LeBron James and Dwayne Wade became such great friends and ended up playing together. People see friendship as the way guys are teaming up. There's nothing wrong with people speculating. That's just what it is, but we're just good friends no matter what. Let's circle back to that. Uh, we didn't have to play together. It wasn't necessary, but we were friends before anything, and we just happened to want to hoop together. <laughs> it wasn't a thing we planned to just game together. The, the hoop thing. is the hooping. It's, it's relentless hooping. <laughs> he just loves to hoop. I don't know if you've heard that. <laughs> Infinite hooping. So a few things here. Uh, I think that the comparison to LeBron and Wade is super interesting, obviously, uh, there are a lot of parallels there. I was making the case that the Nets made a lot of sense uh, going into the summer for Durant specifically because uh, it was similar to Miami before LeBron went to Miami. It was really just a blank slate that they could really apply uh, their own personal uh, brands to and perhaps turn it into something that it wasn't before. Uh, but also, I think it's interesting to talk about LeBron in contrast to KD because he's LeBron is the guy that we all assumed that KD has been kind of chasing and though KD has performed better of late, or at the very least, he's been more successful, and especially in the finals, more successful. Uh, we've never really given him the best player in the world belt. Uh, it seems to always default to LeBron, uh, and then it seems like maybe this postseason was the time we were going to finally concede, but all of a sudden, you know, KD has this injury. Uh, but it does feel like KD's decisions as he goes along seem to keep replicating what LeBron has done, and though... LeBron is super influential, and it seems like the whole league tends to follow LeBron's lead. I think it's interesting when someone pretty much on his level keeps kind of following in his footsteps. Does that make sense at all? So, yeah, sort of. I mean, I think, and it, it kind of calls to mind something. I think I think it was you that wrote it, like, uh, for the year-end package we did, uh, that 2018 going to 2019, the idea that, like, LeBron laid out this blueprint and then this whole generation of stars that's coming after, like, in terms of maximizing their their flexibility with their one plus one, two plus one deals, um, you know, try to sort of not necessarily being tied to one one particular franchise, one particular outcome, but giving yourself the flexibility to uh, dictate what the way your franchise is going to operate and what you know what role you're going to play in it, all those sorts of things. The sort of the ramping up of player power, uh, how LeBron you know was a, the central figure in that, and then after that Kyrie, after that KD, after that Kawhi, and you know so on and so forth. Um, I mean, I guess what I would say is just like, if you're going to follow any sort of blueprint, uh, LeBron seems like a pretty good one to follow. And that's sort of, I mean, in terms of maximizing your money, your power, your success and your, uh, control. Um, and th that seems to be where Durant is at this point. Like, I don't really know. And I, I don't really know where else he kind of could go because just being, just playing excellently only got him so far because then he was considered number two under LeBron. Um, winning championships only got him so far because he was considered like secondary to uh, you know, Steph Curry in the market and to anybody else who like won the title, quote unquote, on their own uh, beyond that. And so now it's like, well, what, you know, I guess, what do you want to be, you know, past that? Well, I want to focus on my, you know, what makes me happy and my business stuff and whatever. Well, that's also LeBron, right? <laughs> that's also going to, it's going to LA. It's, go, it's um, you know, what makes my family happy and, you know, so on and so forth. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know what, the 
particularly unique move that Kevin Durant could make to strike out in a completely new direction would be. Um, but I think that, you know, this one, the move to Brooklyn, it maybe allows him, I mean, if, if, if he is able to, you know, come back at or near the level that he was beforehand and transform the Nets into a consistent contender, like the greatest player in Nets history is probably what Jason Kidd, you know, beyond that. I mean, like going back many years, like the most Nets players, maybe like Buck Williams or somebody like that. Dr. J. Dr. J, but that's sort of like the ABA era before you get into the really the NBA. Sure. So yeah, yeah. but right, but but that right, Dr. J for a few years there. But in terms of like sustained success at the NBA level, there just there's not a whole lot of competition for the number one spot franchise wise. So like, if he makes them that, then yeah, then you're the, you're the guy that people think of with that franchise maybe. So maybe there there's sort of an aspect of that. But um, yeah, I think it, it winds up where he's got, you know, he has. The, the you know the runway to chart a new course but it's going to be really difficult to do that in a way that's sort of outside of the framework that somebody like LeBron has already laid out yeah he is in a in a tough spot because like you mentioned LeBron pretty much owns all of the IP uh, and so anything right. that he does will just be uh, interpreted as following his footsteps I guess the moves he's made have been very like there's very clear one to one that it seems like he's following the same steps whereas he joined the super team in, in hopes that that would kind of validate him just purely by winning titles because that's all anyone ever wants to talk about. It didn't happen. Uh, and it seemed like going to to the Nets was a similar sort of thing. I, I guess the the clear departure from that sort of track that LeBron lays down would be the Knicks. Not only because the Knicks were the blank slate and a team that we all associated with KD more than Kyrie, but also because that's the thing that LeBron never did. Right, he, but we all wanted him to go to New York. Uh, he seemed like he was interested, and had they had any sort of infrastructure in place, perhaps that w- would have happened. As we learned from like the the whispers from uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James on the court, was that this year when they were on the court in LA and they're like, "Yeah, we we almost went there." Oh yeah, there was yeah because uh, it was Wade's last game and it was at Staples Center and they were talking or last game at Staples Center and it was like, oh man, there's only one way. Oh, you know, only two places it could have happened. You know, here <laughs> MSG and then of course that led to everybody going like, wait, was there ever a chance that it could have happened there? And then uh, you know, days of navel gazing and uh, bloodletting among Knicks fans. I but. wonder how many like NBA players just like fucking with us. Because they know as soon as something that like that happens, we're going to be talking about this for like three days. I mean, yeah, absolutely. If I was an NBA player, I would definitely lie constantly, which as a journalist, <laughs> I shouldn't be advocating for. But uh, it, at the very least, it's good for content, you know? I agree. I, I, and speaking of good for content, I want to go back to that idea of Kevin Durant being like, listen, people are going to speculate. That's fine. Uh if I can't, or the exact quote was, there's nothing wrong with people speculating. Kevin hmm. Durant, who has spent most of the last 12 months saying exactly the opposite <laughs> of that, um, you know, getting into very public fights with like Ethan Strauss and other people who have written other things. Um, you know, he, there's a quote from the uh, beginning of tra- or training camp last year, October uh, 2018. Um, you know, when they don't know, when people really don't know the end, the conclusion or why I did something, they're always going to speculate and create stories and clicks. And that's only going to make me more upset. Hmm. So, Kevin Durant, is it okay to speculate? Is it not okay to speculate? Um, you know, I understand we all just want to hoop, but there might be also some some time to sort of get our get our story straight on here. Um, who's hoping though, as now Kevin Durant moves into this next phase of his career, 
where he's got uh, a few years, you know, under contract in New uh, in Brooklyn, and you know, the sort of established building something else. If we start sort of speculating, maybe he can, you know, we'll, we'll all come to a new agreement on what is and is not okay in that framework. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I think the one problem with players kind of fighting for their whole voice in the matter is it doesn't seem like Durant really has much he wants to say or any clear uh, like through line of like how he thinks about these things. It seems like he kind of waxes and wanes depending on the situation, which is totally fine. Like I probably do the same thing about lunch, for instance. Like if you were to ask me about my lunch every day, I'd be like, I don't know, salad. I'm a real salad guy this week, but next week you never know, man. Uh, But it just seems like even within this whole conversation with Haynes, it seems like there isn't really a clear understanding of what's going on or why he ended up in Brooklyn. Even when talking about Kyrie and saying that he wanted to team up with Kyrie, he was like, oh yeah, yeah, like want to play with my friends, but it would have been fine if I didn't play with my friends. And so I'm like, so what do you like? So why? What's going on here? And why is DeAndre Jordan there if it's not about playing with (laughs) your friends? Like, what's the point? So I I mean, it's okay. I I don't know. Yeah. I I feel like I don't really know what the end goal of that sort of um, paragraph answer is, um, which that's listen. That's okay. Sometimes you just start talking and you don't know where you're going to end up. Shouts out to me on this whole podcast. But, <laughs> I was going to say that's um, the group chat podcast, my friend. Yeah, that is the group chat podcast. But um, but it's I I feel like he's it's sort of like an almost like an answer in search of a question that wasn't really what Haynes was asking or a, a presentation in search of like what makes it make the most sense. Listen, I I think we can all sort of get on board with the idea that if you wanted to be out of Golden State, if you wanted to be on the East Coast, if you wanted to be in New York. Clearly, Brooklyn is a better uh, opportunity for you right now than the Knicks would be. And clearly, playing alongside Kyrie and I guess to a, uh, to another extent, DeAndre Jordan as a, a you know friends of yours and guys that you have the Olympic relationship with, and so on and so forth. Like that makes more sense than not doing that if that's sort of if you've already laid out the parameters of what you want. So just like yeah, go do that and then uh, you know get well soon and then get back and we'll see what you know what it actually looks like when you're out there. But it feels like okay, the Kevin Durant has spoken. But what the hell did he just say? <laughs> right. Uh, well, I do wonder, like, how much he'll even be speaking this year. Like, when's the next time we're going to hear from Kevin Durant? Uh, and I also wonder, like, one of my big questions about him going to Brooklyn is that's traditionally a, a pretty sleepy market. Uh, the, they've struggled to really draw fans to that arena, which is a really nice arena. Uh, I've been once mm-hmm. or twice. Uh, Chris Almeida wrote about this during the playoffs for us. They're Like, what is a Nets fan is essentially the question uh, with the Nets franchise, and the, although landing two of the, I don't know, top 10, 15 players in the league, uh, that's a good way to draw pe- people to your arena and to create an identity. Uh, I, I do wonder to just where Durant is at his career or in his career and where the Nets are as a franchise. I wonder how much Durant will be in our lives over the next couple of years. I guess the the best way of putting that is like, slowly have we just kind of lost the window in which Durant is going to be the best player in the NBA? Because we're already kind of moving on to Giannis. Does that sound fair? Yeah, no, it's it's kind of crazy. And uh, we, I remember us talking about this, uh, you know, in different forms, you know, in written form, in, uh, you know, podcast and sort of general office chatter. Like, did, was there, it was like, a, what, a week, two weeks where we were, everybody was sort of ready to assert, you know, assert that. We had, you know, Charks wrote about, how Durant has become sort of like the ultimate player. And there was the opening uh, uh, of the playoffs against the Clippers where it was like, holy shit, this guy can do everything and is the only reason that the the, the Warriors are not down to the Clippers right now. Um, and then he goes away because he gets injured. 
and Kawhi is that guy. Mm-hmm. And then they're in the finals. And even though Kawhi was cl- pretty clearly dragging his legs around, um, you know, he wins the championship and Durant goes out again and he's going out for a year. And so it's Kawhi. And now we're right back to the discussion of like Giannis wins the MVP in the award, the award ceremony that took 16 years to get to that everybody <laughs> forgot about. Um, but Giannis wins the MVP. And so the question is, is it, you know, what does he have for an encore? Is he now going to establish himself that way? Um, is Harden going to reassert himself now that he's alongside Westbrook and, uh, you know, able to, to, you know, re- sort of redouble Houston's efforts to go for the, the title with the Warriors now hurt. Um, LeBron is coming off his longest sort of sustained uh, rest period uh, for in whatever, a decade and a half. And so is this now his like last uh, effort to really show that he is in fact the best player in the world still? He hasn't been knocked off the mountain yet. And as we do all that, it's like, and then we'll see what Kevin Durant looks like after he gets done rehabilitating again, like literally the most devastating injury that an NBA player can suffer in a year. So I don't, I, I wouldn't want to close the book on it entirely, especially, you know, and other, uh, some other people, smart people have written about the possibility that the way Durant's game is will allow him to come back from this in a really, should allow him to come back from this in a positive way. Maybe not, you know, lose all, you know, all of what has made him so special because shooting and, you know, the the, the sheer size of him makes him a a different player than somebody who's smaller and relies on explosion and athleticism in the same way. But um, so it seems like that if if the window's not closed, it's certainly, you know, uh, narrowed and, and the opportunity that he had to sort of at long last go from being the guy who's always number two to the young question number one guy. Yeah, it seems like that kind of passed by pretty quick. Yeah, and I guess it ultimately, I don't know how much it matters that he never really grabbed the reins and was the face of the league because we have this discussion a lot, like who is the face of the league, which is different than the best player. And it's pretty nebulous uh, and it involves a lot of other things like selling shoes and just like whether or not your mom knows about this player. Uh, right. But it seemed like Durant had all of those like not skills, but at least characteristics. He checked all those boxes in order to be that guy. And I just, I think we'll look back, uh, you know, 10 years from now and wonder like whether or not he was ever the guy in a season. And perhaps maybe that's what drove him to Brooklyn in the first place. Uh, But, you know, uh, I think one of the interesting wrinkles, and it's something that you wrote about recently uh, for our, our, are we sure series about the nets is just, they're going to have this bridge season now where Durant isn't there. And so Kyrie is really going to be driving the ship, pretty much the same team that they had last year outside of a few new additions, including, you know, DeAndre Jordan, as you mentioned, Garrett Temple, some of these other guys. Uh, But, you know, I do wonder if we start to associate the Nets even with Kyrie instead. But I guess we'll see there. But I I think that opens up the question, which we could probably wrap on here is, you know, next year the Nets aren't going to have Durant. So what are we expecting from the Nets? Like, do you think they'll be much better? We'll, we'll go with the prompt that we kind of put in the article. It's like, are they going to be much better than last year's Nets? Yeah, and, and I was a little bit skeptical. I mean, I mean, I think this, my simple answer is I think, yes, they are going to be better. Um, I like the, you know, a lot of what they lost uh, around the margins is not, you know, the the significant game changers that you would be looking for, uh, you know, the, that are going to like see, seriously hurt. I think losing Ed Davis as a best sort of backup five defender, it, it, he he was he's better than people realize, and he played a bigger role on that team than I think people realize. But theoretically, DeAndre Jordan's a good rim protector and uh, another big body in a way that like you saw in in the playoffs that the Nets got like destroyed by Embiid whenever he was on the court. DeAndre's at least a big enough body to be able to bang with some of those kind of guys, which they didn't have before. 
Um, they added, the, again, theoretically more shooting around. Like Kyrie's a better three-point shooter than, um, you know, than D'Angelo Russell was. Uh, Kevin Durant, whether he's around or not, like he's, you know, if, if whenever he, got, he does come back, he's instantly the best shooter on the team. Um, you know, you still have Joe Harris. Torian Prince is a reliable three-point shooter. So th- again, theoretically more shooting around opens up the floor more for either Kyrie in the pick and roll or isolation when KD's there, him in the pick and roll or isolation. Maybe the, mo- and the, the additional attention those guys draw can create more space, more opportunities for the other guys, you know, the, your, your complimentary players. Um, you get, again, hopefully a healthy, uh, re- you know, fully, fully rehabbed and healthy Karis Levert. Uh, who looked like he was on the way to being an all-star last year before he suffered that that gruesome foot injury and then had to get work his way all the way back during the season. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie's still in the mix. There, there's, there's enough talent there for it to still, uh, you know, and, and enough young talent that's progressing to take a step forward and Kyrie being an upgrade over D'Angelo Russell, which he should be. I mean, he's a more, just a more talented player overall than D'Angelo Russell is, uh, although he comes with certainly his fair share of caveats. <laughs> right. um, I think that that, you know, that should drive them to being better. But I mean, does that, you know, I think there's a lot of Nets fans uh, I heard from many of them uh, <laughs> and uh, and then some other sort of, uh, you know, national observers too who look at that and wonder, like, this, are you penciling them in for 50 wins? I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it seems more likely to me that you're looking at like a 40, maybe 46, 47, 40, you know, 45 win team uh, unless sort of everybody takes big steps. Uh, and maybe they will. Maybe like a healthy, a full healthy season from Levert is worth two wins. Maybe a full, you know, instead of uh, Spencer Dinwiddie missing, you know, 14, 15 games, if he's healthy the whole way, maybe that's worth another win. So maybe you are talking about like a baseline of 46, 47. And then if Kyrie goes nuts, it's more than that. But um, I think that there's a decent chance, you know, and maybe that even goes to your point about what are we looking for from Durant? Like maybe we see how the Nets manifest this season and you're like, well, that's where he fits in. You know, like, instead of having to play Torian Prince 28 minutes a game or like asking for that much more out of your sort of second tier forward group, like Rodion's Kuruks, as good as he ha- as he looked at times, you know, imagine putting Kevin Durant in over there and like that's the that's the leap. So maybe we wind up, you know, elevating him in estimation, even though he's out of sight, he's not out of mind. Yeah, that's the benefit of signing a player who won't play for a year is that you really can't like fill his role any other way. Uh, So there will be a Kevin Durant chalk outline in the rotation, even though, uh, you know, we won't get to see how it plays out next year. Yeah, they they won 42 games last year. Uh, They finished sixth behind the Pacers. I would assume they'll be in somewhere in that range as well. You assume the Celtics might take a few steps back, maybe in the 45 win range. The Pacers won't have Oladipo probably until the new year, so they might not be as feisty uh, in the first half of the season where teams, some teams tend to stack some wins. So yeah, I mean, four, five, six, that seems about right, which is, you know, that's still something, especially considering going into last season, I think there were some doubters about uh, whether or not they could even uh, make it into the playoffs that year, considering a lot of their guys were still on the come up. Uh, But I guess we'll see and we'll see how Durant fits in from there. Maybe, who knows, maybe he comes in the playoffs and is the savior in that regard. Um, But we're going to take a quick break here. uh, And when we come back, we're going to talk about America. All right, we're back. Dan, 
It's Bobby. It's me. I am Justin. Hi. How's it going? We're all on a first name basis now. <laughs> well, if you've been listening to 35 minutes of Ryan Kuru's talk, I, I imagine you know what's going on here. Uh, so the thing that's actually happening in August uh, is Team USA is at training camp right now in Las Vegas. I believe today, Thursday, is the last day uh, of a three-day mini camp there uh, in which they're hoping to start finding out some of the guys who are going to play for this team in China later in August and going into early September. I don't know if you've heard this before, loyal listener, but there have been a few dropouts from the original roster that we expected to be playing here. Uh, here's the list of guys who has dropped out just from the initial list they put out at some point, I believe earlier, maybe in the season or a couple of months from now. So this does not include the guys like LeBron, guys who have played in Olympics and who have been uh, kind of key cogs in this team before. Anthony Davis, pretty big one. Uh, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Tobias Harris, CJ McCollum, Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, Paul Millsap, Eric Gordon, J.J. Redick, Andre Drummond, Montrez Harrell, and even Julius Randle, but that one was a family scratch, so uh, we wish him the best. That's in total 14 guys that we all expected to be on this team who were, won't be there. Uh, Dan, at one point, in the midst of all these dropouts, wrote that Damian Lillard could be the guy, or had to be the guy, really, to step forward and be the face of Team USA. Unfortunately, I believe the next day, or maybe the day after, he also <laughs> dropped out. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the the post went up on a Monday and then Tuesday morning he was out. So, I mean, listen, as long as it went up on Monday, it got long, it got a, a few hours to 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 be out there. So, that, that that was worth it for that. But yeah, it was a tough beat for your boy. Yeah, I mean, pretty much we could just put Kemba Walker in there and just control pace, you know. That's right. I was talking I was talking about it with uh, Ben Glixman, our, you know, one of our esteemed editors here about like Really, if you go back over the the Dame the Dame should be Captain America thing I wrote, and you just replaced all, with the exception of maybe like one paragraph that was specifically about the Blazers, every other instance of like he's a high volume uh, three point shooter, <laughs> he's a great ball handler, right. he's a veteran who's sort of having his own moment now. He's you know the kind of guy he's you know, re- you know widely respected and viewed as a leader, like all these sorts of things. It, all we just needed to like strike through all the uh, the references to Lillard and plug in Kemba. Uh, I don't think we can do that in the in the the uh, content management system, though. We might not be able to like cross out a headline. That really is the only reason we couldn't have uh, completely rerun the column the next day. But uh, but yeah, so now Kemba, I'm sure I kind of shocked that he hasn't dropped out because every as you said, just about everybody, every other notable name seems to have uh, gone by the wayside this summer. Yeah, so he is the only All NBA guy left in the field. There are still some All Stars here, although you have to kind of squint to find them. Uh, amidst the available pool currently, the All-Stars, let's just start there. Kyle Lowry is still here. Uh, he's the only one, I believe, with a medal amongst this group. No, Harrison Barnes also does, correct? Oh, and right for- <laughs> Mason Plumley. <laughs> That's right. So Mason Plumley from the 2014 World Cup, I think, and then um, the the uh, Lowry and Barnes from 2016 Olympics in Rio. And so Lowry, unfortunately, I don't believe has participated in the camp yet because he just went through thumb surgery uh, pretty recently. Uh, the other all-star in the midst here is Chris Middleton, who just recently made his first all-star team, I believe, this this year. Uh, the rest of the roster or the available pool, there are 17 or there were 17 players until things started to change today. Uh, amongst the guards, you have Walker and Lowry. You have Donovan Mitchell. You have De'Aaron Fox, who was upgraded from the select team before the start of training camp. And Marcus Smart, who is also hurt. 
Uh, wings, you have Jason Tatum, another Celtic. That will be a theme here. Jalen Brown, another Celtic. Joe Harris <laughs> and Middleton. Uh, I group these guys as forwards because they're not necessarily wings or kind of center types, but Thaddeus Young, Dan Devine's guy <laughs> on the come up. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, for 20 yeah. minutes. <laughs> Overnight <laughs> success, Thaddeus Young. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, Barnes, and P.J. Tucker in the center group is Bam Adebayo, Brooke Lopez, Miles Turner, and Plumley. And now just for reference sake, uh, the select team, which is usually just a bunch of young guys who get to scrimmage alongside uh, some of the more veteran players and potentially are guys they can groom for the future. Uh, you have Jared Allen, Marvin Bagley, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, which is a bit of a surprise there, John Collins, Pat Connaughton, another surprise. Uh, I think there's a story on the ringer.com. You can read about his pitching exploits if you'd like. Uh, John, hey, shout out to Alan Siegel. Shouts to Alan Siegel. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, Jaron Jackson Jr., Mitchell Robinson. And then these last two are two guys who are particularly interesting. Trey Young, who I believe uh, left the camp today uh, with an eye infection. So it doesn't seem like he'll be in the mix for uh, a, a, a veteran club roster spot, even though it seemed like he was one of the guys who could potentially vault from the select team. And Derek White, a guy who was getting a lot of buzz, uh, specifically from Rick Buecher's Instagram account, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess is where people report things now. Uh, Buecher reported today that White is expected to be brought to LA, which is kind of the next phase of the training camp process. Uh, and it seems like he is a guy who could be in the mix for a spot here, much to everyone's surprise, uh, which is interesting because, you know, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Greg Popovich is now the head coach right. uh, of the Team USA. Uh, what is it called? It's not the veteran team. It's the... Uh, I think it's like the senior team, right? Senior or- team. There you go. Sure, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and so Derek White seems like he has an inside track to perhaps like maybe vault over some of these other guys, maybe if... Uh, a Kyle Lowry uh, isn't healthy or Marcus Smart isn't healthy, maybe he'll end up on the team. But uh, we have a few questions about Team USA because, again, this is all we have to talk about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's start here. Who should start? So, FIBA rules, same same as NBA, five players start. Uh, Dan, <laughs> it would be amazing, though, if it was like, actually, hold up. They just remixed the whole thing. Six, six guys on the court at all times. See, Four you point laugh, shot. But isn't there a three-on-three tournament happening or is that just at the Olympics? No, there. Uh, I don't. I well. Okay, we we are we are above my pay grade. We're into Roger Sherman territory in terms of who's in the three on three situation. <laughs> right. uh, but I, I know there is one, and I believe one of our one of the Team USA three by three on three dudes is a podcast producer, and the other one might be Canyon Barry. So like, <laughs> wait, wait, yeah, is that fair? Is this Bobby? Bobby, have you been doing uh, basketball? Doing the basketballs outside of uh, work hours? <laughs> have you I've, been doing the basketballs? I've been moonlighting. Yes. <laughs> Um, the, the, for Team USA, I'm very patriotic, Justin. You know this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a big come up for for young Robert here. All right, Dan, who is your starting five? Uh, well, I think yeah, I think we wound up we, as we picked this little pre pro. Um, I think that we we wound up with the same guys. Um, I would have expect Kemba. I mean, obviously Kemba Walker being the, the lone uh, All NBA guy, Captain America. I don't know if you've heard. Um, <laughs> uh, I would expect him to start. Uh, probably uh, Donovan Mitchell alongside him. They, uh, the reports have, been, have had him playing at shooting guard a lot. Uh, in the in the the mini camp, so you probably figure they go alongside each other. Uh, Middleton as again uh, sort of a versatile guy, but also the other all star available uh, at one of the forward spots. Jason Tatum is one of the guys who was like a uh, you know an early selection like uh, from the the initial list they put together has been here throughout the process. He kind of feels like somebody that they uh, you know the team USA brass kind of wants to insert as a, an integral piece of the program moving forward. And if he 
because, you know, he, he can shoot it. He can handle it. He can play a few different defensive positions. He's, you know, young and long and big and et cetera. He seems like he would make a lot of sense uh, as a small ball four or a, a, a small forward in that in the FIBA game. And then the five spot, it's kind of tough because, uh, you know, you mentioned those guys. Bam Adebayo is sort of a late addition to the to the group, but um, uh, there, there's Brooke Lopez and Miles Turner. Uh, I feel like Miles Turner as, as a shot blocker, as a sort of a, a mobile big man who can also step out on the floor and shoot, uh, but a younger guy that's a little more athletic than Brooke Lopez might make sense as the starting the starting center. But um, I, honestly, kind of whichever way that shakes out wouldn't surprise me at all uh, in, in that they're at the starting five spot. Yeah, Lopez is definitely a guy I could see starting there, especially because he has the veteran savvy that you feel like a guy like Pop would kind of uh, right. value there. That, and that's also why I think you could see something where Maybe Mitchell doesn't start and maybe they go a little bit bigger and mm-hmm. it's more Kemba, Tatum, Middleton and they try to slot one of these veteran fours in there, kind of like a Harrison Barnes perhaps, considering maybe maybe it's just like a nod to his veteran experience on, on the international stage. Uh, could we even see starter Thad Young in the mix? I think if we're going to see... Now, Justin, I appreciate you clearing out for me to get into my <laughs> Thad Young talk. Uh, no, I, I think that there's a decent chance at least in one game that you could see Thad Young playing a, a bunch of minutes if he if he makes the team. Uh, Greece, Giannis Adetokounmpo. Um, nobody in the NBA has defended Giannis more over the last couple of seasons than Thad Young. He is weirdly good at defending. I mean, as good as anybody is outside of Kawhi at, at defending Giannis Adetokounmpo. The, like that's the guy who can do it. Um, so I don't think he makes a ton of sense in other aspects. Like if you're looking for a defense first guy, PJ Tucker maybe makes more sense because he can shoot threes better than. Uh, Thad Young is and in the FIBA game that's so important having the outside shooting but for that one game that one matchup I feel like it could make sense and, and we we have seen in the past uh, teams uh, Team USA rosters go a little bit bigger they they uh, but that was I mean it's all under Mike Krzyzewski so who knows uh, how Pop is going to want to play the, the roster makeup uh, the available options seem to tilt towards smaller lineups but you know, in 2014 in the World Cup, you had lots of like Anthony Davis with Kenneth Fareed together. Um, you know, you had you know Carmelo being sort of like a, a power forward alongside DeMarcus Cousins or DeAndre Jordan in 2016. So I could see there being two bigs. And if you have a, like a second real big, maybe it's P.J. Tucker, maybe it's Thad Young, uh, maybe, as you said, Harrison Barnes being that sort of like small ball four, but who still can, you know, hold, handle himself in the post and make some sense there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Pop wants to play on the international stage just because not only have recent Spurs teams kind of zagged and gone away from the three-point shot, um, how much that's a, a, like a result of having personnel, guys like DeMar DeRozan and, and Marcus Aldridge as the two best player, who knows. Uh, but, you know, he, he did popular, popularize the corner three long ago, but mm-hmm. has been on record many times now in saying that he really hates the three-pointer. Uh, so I do wonder how much he'll lean into three-point shooting is kind of his primary objective here. Uh, another guy... Well, I, I, Sorry, before you go ahead on that, I think it, it was the, the the difference in the international game tactically might force him to no defensive three seconds in FIBA. So you can have dudes just like pack the paint, plant themselves in there. So you have to shoot them out of basically like you have to make teams pay for not defending out on the arc or further out beyond that. So like you, the more guys that you have to shoot to be able to bust zones or to draw teams out, 
the you know the better your chances are of actually getting some of the dribble penetration to the rim, which is weirdly why a guy like Joe Harris might have a really good chance at making this team because you need like you know the I mean only you know, it's the Michael Red, it's the Kyle Korvers or whoever like you need those guys that can bust zones theoretically. So uh, I think he might have to lean into three point shooting even if he doesn't want to. That's a great point. Although I could also see Pop leaning the complete opposite way and just like taking advantage of the FIBA rule where you could like tip it off the rim. And just putting out five centers and just like tipping the whole, like the shit out of the ball as if it were like volleyball or something. Um, The the only other guy I considered here was Jalen Brown, just because if you need more defense on that first unit, uh, he could flash as kind of the defensive stopper there. Uh, Although it would give you a Kemba Brown Tatum kind of threesome there, which is basically the Celtics team next season. So, uh, which would be interesting, but also a little bit weird on this stage. Um, all right, so going that those are our fives. Uh, going forward, though, we're going to have to find out who will actually make this team. I think the best way to probably start here is that who are the guys, considering there's so much kind of in flux here, who are the guys that we assume are going to be there? Who are the locks? How about you start by naming your guys? Yeah, uh, I think it's, you know, Kemba, as we mentioned, I, I would go with that starting five, the, you know, Kemba, Donovan Mitchell, although, you know, as you said, there might be an argument against that. Um, Kyle Lowry, just based on his sort of service time uh, with the the national team, uh, if he's healthy, I think he's there. Uh, Middleton, Tatum, again, I think is somebody that they kind of want to lock in and bring around. One guy that we both sort we both kind of tar- thought about, but uh, it feels weird a little bit on both on both sides of it. Harrison Barnes has put in the time he's been part of the national team program. He was on the 2016 uh, gold medal team, but he also, it's a, like, this team is, so maybe on one level, maybe he makes the most sense at the lock because of just, you know, brand equity or whatever he's, you know, the, the put into the time to the commit, to commit to the program. But also like, do you, if you are bringing Middleton and Tatum and, you know, some of the other sort of combo forward types, does it, do you feel like they need Barnes or do you feel like that's just like in recognition of what he's given to the program? Well, I guess because he has the international experience, I'd probably put him above some of those combo fours that we're talking Mm -hmm. about. Uh, I guess he's also probably the most versatile offensive player among all of them. I mean, Thad Young, notably, as as you know, Dan, does not shoot the three ball all that well. I'm not a Kyle Kuzma fan, uh, although perhaps he would... Uh, just jack it on this stage, and that would be enough if he, he'd be able to spread the court for some of these other guys. And PJ they were Tucker, talk, they were talking. Yeah, they were talking about maybe uh, in practice they they ran Kuzma at the five a little bit, uh, as, and and apparently the other team scored like three straight baskets. So it, <laughs> so so it's uh, it, it's nice to know that what's happening with the U.S. national team is the same as what was happening with the Lakers in like October, November, December last year. That's great. That's great when things translate like that. And then like I mean, PJ Tucker is another guy like that. Although PJ Tucker, I mean, good defender, obviously, probably one of the better defenders in the league and definitely one of the most versatile ones, but, you know, just a spot-up shooter. So uh, Mm -hmm. Barnes theoretically can pass the ball a little bit. Uh, He doesn't really show that skill (laughs) off much. We've heard tell. We've we've heard rumors about it. Yeah, and so I I guess I could see that kind of playing out. Uh, And and, and just, I mean, he's also a prominent guy. I mean, he was on the the Olympic gold medal team last time, right? He was in Rio. I don't know. It just, he seems like the type of guy. And then Tatum is an interesting one as well. Uh, I didn't put him amongst my locks, but you did. I think that's the guy, if they're going to maybe grow the next phase of Team USA, he makes a lot of sense there. Um, Not only because uh, of this type of game that he plays, but like, you know, it's last year around this time, we were talking about him as a potential just superstar in this league. I do wonder if uh, he could still play that role and he could be a frontline guy for Team USA. Uh, Let's move on here though. Uh, So, 
which guys are they going to cut? So this is really what it comes down to. Uh, it seems like there are a lot of places you could trim the fat. Uh, it really comes down to where you'd want to go. Uh, I think pretty clearly the first cut is probably going to be Mason Plumley. Uh, although he has Team USA experience, it seemed like he only got it uh, based on his relationship with Coach K. Uh, it seemed like it, they needed an, another bouncy five. It seems like this is a consistent theme with Team USA. They just don't have a guy who could play the center minutes and, and Plumley filled that role adequately, but uh, really hasn't taken much of a step forward in his NBA career. Uh, and although perhaps he has some inside uh, knowledge about how to guard Nikola Jokic uh, on the right. Serbia team, perhaps I, I'm not sure that's enough to, to kind of carry him in the roster. Smart's another guy. Uh, if he's not hurt, uh, if he's not healthy, excuse me, uh, I, I don't expect him to be there. Uh, and also, he seemed like a long shot to me to begin with because even right. though he is a defensive bulldog, a little bit too much like PJ Tucker without perhaps the uh, the ability to guard as many positions. Uh, Bam Adebayo, late add, another guy who, you know, seems like an intriguing player, but uh, maybe a little bit too soon for him. Kuzma, not a fan. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and that young. I'm sorry, but like... Oh, uh, he's fine. (laughs) Well, I'll always have the image of him defending Giannis for national pride and World Cup glory. That'll always be what I imagine. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because uh, Greece is one of maybe like two or three teams that they really have to worry about, even though the talent level is significantly dropped, has significantly dropped uh, from years past. Like this is still clearly the best team in the field uh, by my eyes. And so, you know, if if you're worried about Giannis is one of the only teams that could pose a threat, you know, just bring along Thad Young. I'm sure he'll be a great veteran presence uh, in the stands uh, as they're waiting for their next game. <laughs> um, all right. But I think what's interesting uh, from there, though, is going forward, obviously, it seems like this is a bridge to the next phase of Team USA, as we mentioned. Uh, I do wonder which of these young guys you're intrigued by. Which of the guys do you think from this team could potentially form the next phase uh, of Team USA? Well, you mean in terms of guys from the select, the select team moving up or the guys that are that are likely to make it? Yeah, I think the select team makes the most sense to start with. And then we can t- talk about some guys uh, who aren't really in the mix here for this year. Okay, yeah. I, I think from the select team, it's it's been interesting to see that uh, Marvin Bagley's name has come up a few times. I think Buker uh, on his Instagram post. <laughs> and then uh, I believe it was uh, Mark Stein also sort of seconded that, that, uh, he's been one of the he's he's sort of flashed in, in the select team workouts. Um, you know, you you just mentioned that they're sort of forever looking for bouncy big men who can uh, defend in you know de- uh, in space, who can uh, get out and run, who can shoot the you know shoot from outside, who can protect the rim. And Bagley really came on like the second half of last year uh, for Sacramento, do, doing some of those things. He's got all the physical uh, tools to be able to do it, and certainly had the the pedigree and the profile as a, a prospect, and then at Duke. So the idea that he has the talent that might sort of play up in an international uh, sort of role. Uh, alongside that, Jaron Jackson Jr., also one of those sorts of guys who seems like he can kind of ch- uh, check every box. Um, you know, they're the, one of the, the common and most popular comps for Jaron Jackson Jr. at times was Chris Bosh, like a young sort of developing version of that with a three-point shot. Chris Bosh was like a hugely important piece on the 2008 Olympic team that won in Beijing as a, a you know a defensive center sort of like laying the groundwork for what he would wind up being in Miami with the big three heat team so I could see uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. being that sort of guy uh, taking over the mantle as a stretch five rim protector you know that sort of dude um, 
And then um, I, I don't know. I, I'm really interested by this Derek White thing. I, I think that sounds like it makes sense in part because of Greg Popovich as the head coach, but also like big guard can defend a few different positions was, a, you know, showed he can be like a borderline elite defensive player in the NBA uh, last season as, as sort of his breakout role. Uh, you know, at times capable of taking over, uh, you know, as a, a bigger scoring load, breaking people down off the dribble, you know, advancing three point shot. He maybe he does make sense as an sort of an international player. But I don't know. Was he somebody that whose name you even like registered with you before they started this uh, select team process? No, I didn't even know he was on the select team until right. I saw Rick Beaker's Instagram this morning. <laughs> as we are, we, we, we typically we wake up, get the coffee going, hit up Beaker's Instagram. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, we always double tap on his photos. Uh, yeah, no, I, it's really interesting. I do wonder if the next phase of international competition will come down to Jamal Murray of Team Canada versus Derek White, and that will just be uh, what we have for the rest of eternity. And then we got to clear out for Sharks for like a year. <laughs> That's right. This is the Sharks Bowl. Uh, but yeah, in, in addition to some of those names that you mentioned, uh, I'm I'm pretty bummed that Zion was not among uh, the select team this year because clearly that's a guy who could have vaulted into the into the senior team uh, and potentially just kind of ran the summer. It really could have been the summer of Zion. I totally understand, especially considering what happened at, to him at Summer League, kind of going out after nine minutes, why he wouldn't want to uh, continue on uh, playing outside of the Pelicans organization. Uh, you know, and I'm just curious about next year, how many of the veterans we all assume to be a huge part of Team ESA will will make a comeback. Anthony Davis uh, hasn't played for a while. I remember being in a press conference scrum where he announced he wasn't going to play in the Olympics, and he started to get like legitimately teary eyed. I think this right. is like something that like is important to him, uh, and yet he hasn't been able to do it uh, for a variety of reasons, some of which are self imposed. Uh, we should mention. I mean, Trey Young's another guy. I think would be really fun on the international stage. Bagley, uh, if he continues on his progress from this rookie season, I think that's guy. He's a really intriguing uh, guy in transition. A guy who could uh, uh, playing off of some of those veteran guards like uh, on Team USA. I think he could do a lot of fun things. And the guy I'm just super curious about is Kawhi. <laughs> I doubt that he'll ever join Team USA. But especially considering all the load management it takes him during the regular season just to make it through the entire playoffs. But that's a guy, if he just all of a sudden woke up and decided instead of going to the taco stand, he was going to join Team USA, I wouldn't be like shocked. Uh, And it would kind of further this idea of like Kawhi is the guy in the league and he's the number one guy. And now he's assuming that mantle on the international stage. Oh, yeah. He's he's never. So, I mean, of those veteran guys, it's that's the the, sort of the crazy thing is that. there is so you go through like the 35 man like roster pool later they put together for like this cycle of 2019 uh, World Cup 2020 Olympics. And you're like, oh, right. If like this, the, the wing core of the 2020 Olympic team could be Durant, Paul George, LeBron, Kawhi and Jimmy Butler. And then you're like, OK, so then I'll see you later, Jason Tatum. You know, like maybe maybe you don't actually play on the team at that point. And, and in the backcourt, like, again, you could have uh, Steph Curry, James Harden, uh, Kyrie Irving, Clay maybe like Chris Paul as the like ceremonial Jason Kidd in Beijing kind of role, like the, you know, the, the guy at the end of sort of toward the end of the line, but has been part of the of two gold medals before that. There's just so many, like there's so many guys who have been part of this process over the last, you know, 12 years or so. Uh, and so many of them are still around that. It's kind of like it, the, the, the number of open spots for guys to come from this iteration of the team into what, you know, what comes next year 
it, it, there really aren't all that many of them. It, it, might, it might open the door more, honestly, for somebody like Miles Turner or, you know, I mean, whoever the sort of second big man would be behind AD if AD gets to play, like, because there, there's just so much depth on the wing and in the backcourt among the U.S. player pool that if those guys decide they want to, um, you know, I mean, if, if LeBron says, I'm, I'd like to play in 2020, you know, like no, absolutely nobody is going to stop him. He walks into a roster spot. So then that means like, okay, maybe not Chris Middleton, right? Or something like that. So uh, the, the, how interested those established veterans who have put in the time, who have the gold medals already on their, uh, you know, in their trophy case, if those guys decide they want to, it may be, uh, it can mean the opening or the closing of the door for one of these sort of young up and coming guys who then might have to wait another four years to get another crack at it. Yeah, I mean, but the one thing, as uh, Jerry Colangelo said in an interview with The Athletic today, uh, in the midst of throwing unnecessary shade at Carmelo Anthony, uh, was just how, you know, in 2008, the Redeem team won. And then all of a sudden in 2010, it was a completely different roster for the world championships in Turkey. You had guys like Durant, you had guys like Rose, you had guys like Curry. Though The talent level is probably a little bit higher than what we're dealing with this year. But right. I think it's a similar sort of idea where it just it kind of ushers in the next phase of guys. And uh, I am, in particular, really interested to see when all of these guys get together, who really stands out as the alpha dog. And while that could be a bit reductive in, in the NBA context, I do feel like when a guy pops amidst other all-star level players, I think it's significant. And a guy that we keep hearing about, in addition to some of the ones you keep mentioning, uh, uh, De'Aaron Fox, a guy who just completely jumped off the page. He was supposed to be on the select team. All of a sudden, he jumps up. Uh, to the senior team and all the reports coming out of Las Vegas this week is basically Fox is the guy. It's like every time he steps on the court, uh, he's making an impact. And I could see him not only being a really good international player, uh, but being the sort of guy who carries that into next season. All of a sudden, we're talking about, hey, Bagley Fox uh, took a next step. And even though Buddy Heald is 32 now, maybe he could be <laughs> the, the guy on the wing uh, that f- fills everything out. Fox makes a ton of sense. Team USA in the past has played like a lot of pressure defense. Uh, he's a guy that can certainly do that. It's a team that has run a lot, was, you know, a fantastic playing 100 miles an hour for Sacramento last year. The shot came along, and even if he doesn't have it, like there's going to be enough shooting around him. It makes total sense as far as somebody that would play up in the at the uh, international level. So we'll see. Uh, so they'll go through Vegas this week, and then they're going to go through LA, and then I think eventually they make their way uh, to Australia, and then uh, eventually to China. So we have a long ways to go here. Pop is even talking about uh, bringing more guys than the 12 that they'll ultimately settle on uh, throughout some of the next few phases. So this one could drag out, but uh, it could be interesting just to see all this play out and some of these guys interact. Um, and then eventually take the stage against mighty Canada and maybe Italy, Nigeria. We'll see if anybody can can really hang there. So, uh, but that's it for us this week. I will not be here next week. So somebody, potentially Bobby, will be hosting Group Jack next week. Uh, but until then, for Dan, for Bobby, I'm Justin. We will see you next time. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.